DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Riley Jensen, college football insider. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion, and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, you sorry dudes? I'm sorry. <laughs> we got big football games. Teams, opponents that draw an emotional reaction. Utah playing USC, BYU playing Boise State. The Broncos are 2-3, and three, which is very unusual. The Cougars may have to play their third-string quarterback again. He's got two entire quarters of college football experience. But the Broncos struggle to run the ball and struggle to stop the run. Analyze this one, big guy. Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, having having a chance to watch Utah State and BYU play in person on Friday night, um, a couple of things that were that just really stood out as far as BYU goes. Um, Baylor Romney has one of the best deep balls that I've seen in college football in a long time. Unbelievable patience, plays quarterback the way that I love quarterbacks to play it. Meaning he he doesn't. He doesn't overcomplicate it. He takes what, what the defense gives him. I thought he was really good. I thought it was unfortunate that, that he got knocked out of the game because I thought he was playing such an amazing game. Um, and then when, when, when they brought in the rookie, when they brought in the freshman, um, there was definitely some nerves. And so if, if he has to play this week, um, I, think that's, I think those two quarters are going are, are gonna to be really, really important for him. I also think that the week of practice is going to be really good for him. And then the other thing that stood out in the BYU game is as impressive as I thought Algier has been, just watching him on TV in person, that guy's a man. And watching him take some of the hits that he took in the Utah State game, he doesn't even get up and limp at all. There's there, he He's in great shape. He's just a brick to tackle. And um, obviously he gave Utah State everything that they could handle, and I think he's going to give teams everything that they can handle going forward. It's very few times that we see a running back in college now that can be the, 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 the every down back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He, he can run it on first down, second down, and third down and take that kind of abuse and just be ready to go the next week. It's, it's really quite impressive how good he is um, in person. It's, it's more than what you see on TV. So I think Conover gets the nod. With that in mind, what type of game plan do you think A-Rod devises? Well, I think, I think he's got he's to plan a lot of like – and one of the things – I thought A-Rod called one of his best games on Friday night. I, I love – he has a whole bunch of different um, – a different, a different twist and a different look to these, these new screen passes where it looks like the receiver's running like an arrow route, but he's running behind the line of scrimmage, and then they have the wide receivers like blocking downfield for him. And he, he, he's got to get a few of those for Conover. He's got he's to get him some completions early before they throw the ball downfield. And I think, I mean, if there's anything that we know about A-Rod up till now is these quarterbacks will be prepared for the games that they play in, and, and 
so far so good. I mean, the, the quarterbacks have played good, with the exception of I thought Conover struggled in the third quarter, got a little bit better in the fourth quarter, but not quite the level that they need. But he'll have them, he'll have them ready for Boise State, and you're just going to get a steady dose of Tyler Algier against Boise State, the way they struggle against the run. He's going to pound the rock. He's going to set that up, give Conover some play-action passes, and and I think BYU wins this game even even with the rookie even with the rookie starting at quarterback. A third straight year of third string quarterbacks starting in this game. Does this does any of this ever sink in and slow down the transfer portal, or that's just not how nineteen year olds are wired? So never mind. Well, I mean, I have a little bit of experience with this, right? Like I transferred. I transferred from BYU, and I was in a battle with, with, with Federick and Shoemaker when I was playing at BYU, and um, Federick ended up winning the job and getting hurt. Shoemaker, by the, by, by the midseason, Shoemaker was out, and they had Drew Miller starting. And you just, it's really hard to be that uh, mature and that forward-thinking as a 19-year-old. I, I, I just don't know especially in the quarterback position where it is so competitive just to get a college scholarship and it's so competitive that you want to play when you do get to where you go. I, I just don't I, don't, I don't think it's going to slow down anything in the portal. However, if, if, you, can, if you can be smart about things and if you can think things through, um, you're going to get your shot. It's just whether, it's whether you're ready for your shot or not um, that, that matters, right? Yeah, and at the same time, and for Boise, Sears wasn't getting his shot in at, in at SC, so he got a shot in in Boise, so he played. Right. So sometimes it works. I mean, no, I know the I, theory being listen, stick around. And listen, I played at Utah State. I mean, it, it, it's not always terrible, but it's not always ideal. I mean, look, I mean, I say this all the time. I mean, very few of us are first-round draft picks, right? Most of us are sixth, seventh-round free agents. I'm not even sure that I was, you know, a first-round draft pick for my wife, but it's what you do with your chance, right? And so you just got to be ready. And and sometimes you transfer, sometimes you don't. My, my thought is when I, when I talk to quarterbacks that are getting recruited, I'm like, go to a school that if the coaches got fired – if nothing worked out for you that you'd still like to go to the school, like you'd still like going to school there. And if that's, if that's the case, then, then you're going to be able to be resilient and be able to make it through a lot of different scenarios um, wherever you go. Right. Yeah. I don't know that a third did. It is the third year in a row that uh, three third team guys started. Didn't Sears start last year and then got hurt. And then Finnegan came in. So not started played. Right. So, I mean, look, this is true at every single school. Like, I, I mean, I was thinking about tweeting something out the other day just about all these second-string quarterbacks around uh, around the state of Utah that have played well. I mean, you got Romney, you got Peasley at Utah State. Um, obviously, at the University of Utah, he was the second-string guy to start out with, with Cam Rising, right? And all of these guys are ready, and I think it's impressive the mindset that some of these second-string quarterbacks have had recently to come in and play well when their number's called. I mean, there was, there was a point where Peasley at Utah State comes in and goes eight, eight of nine for like 98 yards against Air Force and, and has a big run and, and helps Utah State beat Air Force. So, 
the 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 mentality of a quarterback right now has got to be a little bit different than what it was. But I I just think it's hard to to tell an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old that when when all of their hopes and dreams are based on whether they play or not. And typically, a second string quarterback doesn't play in a game unless there is an injury. So USC is three and two, two and two in conference. They are all over the map. Um, do you think it's really SC all over the map, or maybe Oregon State's way better than we expected, and Stanford's a little better than we expected, certainly after we saw them week one? And so we're just seeing USC as a mediocre team, and they've beaten bad teams and lost to good teams. Yeah, I kind of, I, I that's that's what I feel like. I, I don't know how you keep everything together with USC right now. I mean, when you fire a coach that early in the season, it's really, really hard for an interim coach to keep everybody happy and to keep everybody playing hard and 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 do what they need to do to win. Now, you know, they ran the ball a little bit better last week. They did they they did some things that maybe they haven't done in other games. Um, you know, Jackson Dart is is still hurt. He's still you know nursing that knee. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen when he comes back. Um, you know, obviously Slovis played a little bit better He's last week. He's practicing now. Dart is. He, uh, he did return to practice. Yeah, yeah. Then, it's like it's it's like ginger. It's it, it's very very light snaps. I, right. I would guess that it's two it's two weeks three weeks before yeah. he could be considered for play. Right. So you're you're looking at you're looking at a few different weeks, and I, and I don't even know that that's the way that they want to move. And I don't even know, I mean, personally, if I'm Jackson Dart, do I want to waste this year on a, on a year where there's no head coach? Do I want to, do I, how many games do I really want to play in? Maybe, maybe you nurse that thing until there's only three games left in the season, and then that way if you play three games, you know, you, you're still under that four threshold and it still counts as a redshirt year. I don't, I don't know how you do that and how you think about that as a player right now. Um, Three and out, he's going to the NFL. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm with PK. Jeez. <laughs> three games and you think he's going to the NFL? Three years. Huh? Do the NFL oh, requires no, no. three years out of high school, right? So it doesn't matter if he burns right. a year of eligibility or not. Exactly. He's going He's Fair going enough. big time. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not sure that – I think he's just more worried about like, hey – I got to get on the field and I got to play well for USC. I think he'll cross that bridge when it comes. But look, USC is going to be all over the place. I think they're dangerous when the University of Utah plays them just because they are very athletic. That wide receiver is unbelievable. And I think they can make plays. Uh, it just kind of depends on, on, on which USC team shows up this week and, and whether they're happy or whether they're in a bad mood, whether they're content, whether they're not content. And it's just it seems like there's a lot of wins down there that just kind of decide whether USC is going to play well or not. And I'm looking forward to actually seeing a USC team that's brought some stability and see if that team can't be good again. Because right now it's just I feel like they're a disappointment every year. I like the psychological a psychological aspect that coaches play. So if you have a crappy non-conference season, well, we're zero and zero. Now Utah has been saying they're one and zero, and uh, you know there's only two teams in the South that don't have a loss, and there's only I think one team in the North yep. that doesn't right. have a loss in conference play. I'm speaking of. So they play these games, and do you think SC might be thinking, hey, we have two? 
But this division is all over, man. You try to figure it out, and it's just impossible. The Bruins look like they could have taken uh, maybe a light stronghold, which is sort of an oxymoron, but then they get beat and basically get run off the field against the Devils on Saturday. So the point being that you can look at it in terms of, hey, six and three might get it done. And so uh, especially or maybe in seven and two in that SC can saddle the two teams that have zero losses right now with losses so they could have tiebreakers. You think that's going through their mind and playing that psychological game? Yeah, I mean, look, coaches are going to hold on to whatever psychological game they can play, right? I mean, you have to you have to play the cards that you're dealt, right? And so when they're when they're there, that's 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 what you're thinking, that's what you're telling guys. You're going to come up with a good game plan, and then you're going to try and go out there and, and play good football. Now, the youths have not typically played well down in the Coliseum. I think that I think that helps USC. I don't know. This just seems like a huge opportunity for the U. But I but I also just I don't feel like all the problems are resolved with the U. I I, I it's it's really going to be interesting to see what happens, what their reaction is, coming off a of bye week, coming off of death of a teammate. Um, I don't know whether they're going to come out really fast or if they're going to come out flat. I mean, there's really just a lot of variables that are going on right now. You try and control the things that you can control as a coach, but as a former coach, I can tell you that you you – you prepare and you go through scenarios with teams all the time, and then you get to the game, and the exact scenario that you prepared them for happens, and they blow it. I mean, it's it's just sometimes it's like mind blowing. You're like, that's exactly what we showed you. That's exactly what we said was going to happen, and then you you still let it happen. And so you you try and get these guys to focus as much as possible. There's been a lot of distractions for both of these teams. So I, like you said, I mean, if there's any. If there's anything stable about the Pac-12 right now, it's instability. Right? I guess what USC has going for them along those lines is that they've got a bye week and then Notre Dame. So they could be back in the conference race big time, just not playing a conference game for two weeks. I mean, they've already played four. They used to played one. So they'll let everyone else come back to them, I guess. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, it's it's a long season. I when you and I and I it, it was fun for me to be at the BYU Utah State game on Friday because I I just forget how long those games are. Right? I mean that, that was the biggest that was the biggest adjustment for me coming out of high school to to college football is like college football is a considerably longer game and there's a lot of different momentum shifts and you got to be able to weather the different momentum shifts that happen. And it's also a long football season compared to like when you're in high school. And so, you know, you if you have more veteran guys, they're they're, you know, when you've got a Covey on your team, when you've got a guy like Nick Ford who's been on the team for a while, they can help. They can help younger guys, and they can help people to understand like, hey, yeah, we're up fourteen to three right now in the second quarter, but this is a long game. Like we we got to keep doing what we're supposed to do. To, to win this game, and we got to keep doing things, and and you got to. They're also the guys that can keep telling guys like, "Hey, look, we're one and zero in conference. This is a long season. We have nine games in conference left. This is what we need to do." And so you hope those guys step forward and like they really kind of groom the, the younger guys to help them to know 
how difficult and how long a college football season is and how long a college game is. I mean, the, the different momentum switches that happen in a game are, are really fascinating to me. You pumped up Algier earlier. Uh, you think he's a surefire pro, and if so, what type of pro? Boy, he's, start, he's starting to feel like it. I mean, when you when you look at pro when you look at pro running backs that, that are getting a, a good amount of carries, they look a lot like him, right? Like they they're they're the guys that can. I mean, I don't think any of us look at Algier and go, oh, wow, he's a guy that like you can throw a sweep to and he's going to beat people outside and down the sideline, although he does that from time to time. But he's the guy that can run in between the tackles, and you're, and you're talking about seven yards, six yards, nine yards, four yards. I mean, even some of his two-yard runs were just really impressive because there was nothing there, and he still gets you some yards. I mean, I it, it seems like it more and more, and I – to be honest with you, I was thinking last year, like, oh, it was a nice season he had. He had 1,200 yards. Like, the schedule wasn't as tough as maybe, you know, maybe some BYU running backs had gone against in the past. But this year, he's answered every single question that I have. And I think he has some top-end speed that maybe maybe we hadn't anticipated because, I mean, you just look at him in the Arizona State game when he runs down that linebacker and he knocks the ball out. When he's, when he's breaking some of these long runs, even last year, he has some legitimate speed, and he has that power to run it inside. So I, I feel like he almost fits the pro game better than the college game right now. You see the college game with a lot of these spread option teams, like running a lot of sweeps and a lot of speed sweeps and all that kind of stuff. But BYU just lines up and says, hey, we're coming downhill at you, and we're going to lean on you. And it looks more like a pro offense. And so I think I think he translates to the next level. Yeah, maybe a bigger, yeah. uh, bigger Zach Moss. Yeah, I mean – you know, and I don't know how big Zach Moss is. I mean, he, he's taller. I mean, Zach Moss is pretty compact, too. But, I, right. I mean, I see him playing that way, right? Like, I, I mean, and he's not afraid of contact. And he certainly has shown that he's durable over the last two years. Uh, you know, knock on wood and he's saying that out loud. But I mean, he's really good. He's really good. I mean, there was there was a lot of fun plays in that Utah State game. And, uh, you know, Devin Tompkins, the wide receiver at Utah State, He's not just a small, fast guy. He's a guy that can he can take the top off. There were three or four passes where he was over the top of BYU's defense, and then he can catch the ball over the middle. I mean, there were, there were there were some really really good players in that game, and I it's a it's a testament to the coaches around the state of Utah, man. There there's some fun football going on in this state, and Tyler Algier is right at the top of all the players in this state right now. And what a cool story, right? A walk on. He was linebacker, then he was running back, then he was linebacker, now he's running back. And man, I, I mean, it's hard not to, to wish good things on him. And everything that his teammates say is that he's a super hard worker, super humble, good guy. And that's all we can go on right now. It seems like this is a great story. Riley, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. You're the man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Coming up next, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, with the Utes headed to the Coliseum for a game Saturday at 6 o'clock. Right now, we're joined by Andrew Reinhardt, Wasatch Medical Clinic. And Andrew, for guys who are looking for an answer for ED, uh, the pill is a common answer. So why are guys stopping that and coming to you? Well, I would say if you're out there loving the pill, no side effects, it works perfectly, I'd keep doing it. 
But if you're experiencing some erectile dysfunction, if you don't want to take the pill or you're experiencing side effects, this technology at Wasatch Medical, I think it's a major medical advancement. It's backed by 50 studies, including the Cleveland Clinic now, showing clinical and significant increases in blood flow. That's their words. This repairs blood vessels with pressure waves, gets the blood flowing in the bedroom where you want it, when you want it, and has been shown to reverse the ED and get the spontaneity restored. So what are the top causes of ED? Well, we see a lot of things. I would say diabetes, prostate issues, maybe some injuries. But also, this is more common than we think. Uh, Healthy guys, we treat men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that maybe want to top off their drink, so to speak, in the bedroom. And we treat men in their 80s and 90s with severe erectile dysfunction. And we've seen success in all of those categories. And you got a special offer for our listeners. We do. So much value this morning. If you're ready to regain your love life, give us a call. You'll meet with our MD free. He'll do an assessment and a blood flow ultrasound. That's no charge. The gift, uh, I don't think I've ever seen it fail. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. No charge for that. And if you're like so many that feel like you're a little lethargic, the complete blood work and testosterone is free today as well. You can call right now. Get that special offer at 801-901-8000. Tell them you heard Andrew on the zone. 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical at 801-901-8000. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Time to chat with Max Tooley. Give us a story or two about your mission. Something that was unique about my mission was I was assigned to speak Mandarin on my mission. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite the, you know, the tall order. Got to serve in different areas where, uh, you know, where specific, you know, Chinese students would be. I loved my mission. That Mandarin's going to serve you well down the line for sure. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. We appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, uh, Max, why Oh, why me? Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you later. I know a little Mandarin. Look at you. Oh, you okay. just Googled that. No, I did not. I know Waini means I love you. Because... You just told Max Tooley I love you? Yeah, well, yeah, now that I think about it, I did. That's a little awkward. He said it back, though. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com publisher and host of the podcast of Champions. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Ryan, good morning. Welcome back into the show. Good morning. Uh, I'm trying to figure out this Pac-12 football season. I I don't know what I'm seeing each week, but it seems (laughs) pretty crazy, which... I guess kind of makes sense. It's on brand for our conference here. Ryan, when it rains in L.A. in October, you know it's a screwy year. It's so weird. We're here, and it's like, you know, <laughs> you're ready for this, uh, you know, football game, uh, Raiders and Chargers at SoFi Stadium, and they're, like, delaying it in an indoor stadium. We're looking outside. We didn't hear anything about thunder and lightning, and it's, like, pouring outside, and, like, it was crazy. Yeah, so it was weird things are going on here in uh, L.A. and in the Pac-12 in general. 
So I'm curious what you think of a 3-2 and two USC football team. Is it as simple as they're kind of mediocre and they've lost to two pretty good teams and beaten three teams that aren't nearly as good? Do you think their play is varying week to week? What's going on? Yeah, I think all of those things. Uh, I mean, Stanford definitely better than I thought they'd be this season. Oregon State looks, you know, legit. Um, you know, but they those are teams that you could lose to, but not really get blown out at home. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And they looked, you know, very confident against Washington State and Colorado and, and you know San Jose State. But you know, I don't know how good any of those teams are. So it's to me, it just still is so much up in the air. I think once you fire a head coach after two games. You've had an interim. We've seen this at USC many times over the years. So you see an interim kind of take over. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some things that everyone likes, maybe better. I think the whole discipline thing early on, I mean, they only had five penalties in that first game against Washington State. And Dante Williams was like, hey, that's five too many. Well, they've had significantly more than that the last couple of games. And I think, you know, the preaching, the new culture and discipline and all that is nice, but is it going to be able to stick? And asking an interim head coach to kind of keep a team together for at least 10 games, uh, that's a pretty big ask. So I, I think this is just going to be a, sort of a grab bag season for USC. they got some really talented players, but I don't know. From week to week, I guess it's going to be like a box of chocolates. You're just not going to sure what you're going to get. Yeah, I think you can say that if you want to go big picture. It's very accurate, obviously, when you just look at their performances. And I think almost symbolic of that, if not in fact symbolic, is the play of Slovis because he's been up and down. And I'm not sure where to go with him because I thought that he was on his way to being an NFL guy and a top draft pick. Now I'm not so sure. What do you see? Yeah, that first year, 2019, uh, when when Graham Harrell's offense came in, he just looked – uh, amazing coming off the bench, you know, after JT Daniels uh, goes down with the injury. And, you know, last year, 2020, was a weird year. We talked about his mechanics not being great. I think further in general, he's thrown the ball a lot better uh, this year than he had than he did last year. Just the ball coming off his hands. For the most part, it looks like you know, a much more competent thrower of the football. I think not having guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's as security blankets out there has hurt a little bit. And he's trying to figure out who that next number two guy's going to be. You know, Drake London is amazing. Probably, you know, maybe the best player in the Pac-12, just football player. Uh, Those kind of catches he's made are, out, uh, you know, otherworldly. He's just been amazing. But you're looking for who's that number two guy. We've seen Gary Bryant Jr., you know, catch touchdowns the last three games. Michael Trigg came on. He's got his first touchdown as a true freshman. But I don't feel like outside of uh, Drake London, he knows who that next guy is going to be and maybe, you know, has the trust to be able to get off of London if he's got three guys on him and then and just find his next read and, and let the ball fly. So I think that's part of what's going on. But um, whenever you have Drake London to throw to, I think any of us could have been a, a decent quarterback. So we'll see if Slovis can kind of take that next step. But he still hasn't looked like he did when we saw him as a freshman in 2019. So you're good at this. You jumped my next question off PK's question. You answered two at one, getting into the whole issue at receiver. Uh, and we have talked about London without you here, and we've both been blown away by what he's done. But that makes me think that Kyle Whittingham and uh, the defensive coaches are just going to double him. He'll be bracketed wherever he goes. Can anyone else beat one-on-one coverage and make multiple big plays? I mean, Taj Washington's yeah, I mean, I the next receiver, but he's got one touchdown in five games. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, he, that was the first game, too. And um, he's, I like Todd Washington a lot, the transfer from Memphis. He was a freshman All-American. Uh, just watching his feet, uh, I think you need to use him a little bit different ways. Like, they, they threw, like, a fade to him in the first game against San Jose State and caught a touchdown. But 
he's 5'11". Like, he's not someone that uh, you're trying to throw over the top to. I think you want to catch him on a post or something, get him in space, and then let him run uh, after the catch. I think that's where he's going to be the most effective. Gary Bryant Jr., like I mentioned, he's been, uh, you know, he's been catching touchdowns. Uh, he had the big one, um, you know, a couple games ago when, you know, Jackson Dart came into the game and it just kind of uh, – Generated that rally against Washington State. It was his, you know, touchdown over the middle that sort of sparked the whole Trojan football team. And I think he's someone that has that capability. But I'm curious to see what Utah does because we saw a couple of years ago in the Coliseum against Matt Sink, the backup quarterback. They played a lot of man, and that's something that USC's great receivers have been able to burn them. But now, if you can play man, but you're doubling up uh, or you know getting extra help over on Drake London. Now, he's still capable of making those catches. We've seen him throw up at the triple coverage and come down with the ball because he's just ridiculous that way. But I feel like there's more opportunities there to maybe play man and, and make someone like a Gary Bryant or, or a Taj Washington or a Michael Trigg out of tight end position beat you because it's they've seen some flashes there, but not you know there's not proven uh, production coming out of those spots. outside. Uh, like you mentioned, Drake London, that's proven production. But the other guys... I think they're sort of a you know wait and see mode to see who is the one that steps up and and becomes like the Robin to his Batman. Had a running game with Ingram going over a hundred against Colorado, the Texas transfer. Is there something there that can be sustained, or is that just Colorado? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I mean, Colorado's usually pretty good defensively, and uh, USC ran all over them. Um, and it was, uh, I think, it was encouraging because they you know. Washington State wasn't that great against the run, and USC struggled the last two years you know, running the ball there. They wanted to do like a one-two punch, uh, a 1A, 1B uh, with Ingram and uh, Vavai Malpei, but they also have another transfer. Ingram's transfer from Texas. Uh, Darwin Barlow came on the scene last week, too, and I've liked what I've seen from him in camp. He's a TCU transfer, so a couple of Texas guys, and they got the, the bulk of the, the work there. So Barlow sort of worked his way into this two-man rotation that with Vavai in there as well. But he got he had much more production, even though Vavai got the only touchdown on the ground last week. So I'm curious to see how they use that. They they wanted to get away from a committee, but I think it's got to. They're you're probably going to see those three guys uh, running the football. But I think Ingram's kind of made it clear that he's the the guy. He's the number one uh, threat out there. He just can do a lot, and I think if you know they can get him involved in the passing game. Um, and we'll see. I, they haven't run a lot between the tackles. They kind of line up in a pistol sometime and then uh, bring it over to a shotgun, and they do a lot of wide runs out of that. But um, I think you might see a little bit more of that, too, just depending on how that interior of the USC offensive line plays. But Ingram's the guy, and I think he can be effective against you know most run defenses. He's, I think he's USC's uh, biggest threat right now. So the Utes have had a problem fumbling the ball. How will the USC defense be at stripping the ball? What do you think? Yeah, this, uh, it's been sort of up or down for the USC defense. We've seen you know games where they're getting in the backfield and getting three sacks, or last week they got five sacks plus a couple of quarterback tackles that ended at the line of scrimmage. They're essentially sacks. And then they have other ones where it's just barren, like they've got nothing. Uh, the other three games, like no sacks. And I think that's going to be the key to – forcing the ball out if you can get you know, some pressure in the backfield and that's it's been really hit or miss uh, for USC I think getting you know Nick Figueroa back the last couple of weeks they saw Jacob Lichtenstein have a, a breakout game with a couple of sacks against uh, you know against Colorado last week uh, and we've seen Drake Jackson really sort of been the, the catalyst for everything 
Uh, he had a big game uh, against uh, Colorado as well. I think when he's rolling, and sometimes they were dropping him the coverage, and he's just really not been involved as much. But when he's hand on the ground, getting after the quarterback, we've just seen this defense work a lot more. So I think you're, I think you'll see some opportunities to strip the football if they use him. Uh, more of the Ed Rusher guy just kind of coming in and trying to disrupt everything in the backfield. Otherwise, then I think you know some of that stuff, the misdirection stuff. USC might be kind of on their heels a little bit, and that you probably won't see any kind of uh, you know strip you know strip sacks or you know, stripping the the running back or anything like that. So to me, I would watch the front, see if they can get some pressure up there, and if they can, there's some opportunities for turnovers. So we know Dart has returned to practice on a limited basis. Any idea when he would be cleared and ready to go? Yeah, all we get from uh, Dante Williams is week to week. So it's similar, but what you guys get from <laughs> Whittingham, maybe that's even more uh, than what you guys get on injuries. But just to see him out yesterday in uh, pads, you know, for the first time, and we've seen him walking around even you know days after the surgery. He looked like he was walking around, you know, fine with a little knee brace on. Um, so I, I wouldn't anticipate anything happening this week. But they go into a bye week, so my guess would be. Uh, he would be available for, for Notre Dame. But at this point, just to see him sort of getting back there, it, it gives you the indication that we thought it might be like a three- or four-week injury. But there's talk that it could have been a you know six- to eight-week injury. It seems like it's going to be more on the, the former side where you know his potential, his potential to come back uh, would be against Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. It is possible to go through the schedule and say, oh, look, USC is going to finish 6-6. Uh, six and six. It's also possible to go through the schedule and say, they're going to finish 9-3. and three. What are the expectations for them right now? What do you think is realistic? Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's exactly right. You could look at it like they could lose any of these games, you know, and uh, but they could, they could win them all. And uh, it's crazy to look at that, um, just the way this team has, has performed up and down, just talent-wise. It's there, but uh, we've seen them play well on the road. We've seen them lay complete eggs uh, at home. So that's why I think this Utah game is going to sort of tell us a lot. I mean, if it's another home loss, especially like embarrassing fashion, I mean, I think they really have to kind of look inside and say, hey, what's going on here? This is, you know, losing to a, a Stanford or an Oregon State or a Utah or two of those teams, but you lose all three at home, there, there's something that's not quite right. And, you, you can't really blame Dante Williams. You, you get it. He took over this team on a Monday, just found out, walked into a meeting, and had to address his players like, hey, I'm the head coach now. So I can't even imagine what that would be like. But I think he's doing his best to put his stamp on this team and keep the expectations high that they've had before. I think some of the fans, of you know, the expectations are sort of meh. They're, like, they're just waiting to see who the next head coach is going to be. And maybe you know, losing that game to Oregon State uh, took a little pressure off of Dante Williams because there was talk about him potentially, you know, taking over and, and being the permanent head coach. But now I think they can just sort of focus on, all right, we've got to win games and, you know, figure out what happens at this point. So I, I think they might play a little bit looser this season. Uh, but you're right. Is it going to be six and six? Is it going to be nine and three? Somewhere in between. I'm guessing, you know, kind of an eight and four type of uh, finish for the team, which I think would be pretty good for Dante Williams if he goes out and, uh, you know, just loses a couple games for his, you know, his interim head coach tenure. Plus, he's dealing with the death of his father, too. Yeah, I mean, that's another just kind of piled on. And, you know, when these coaches get into uh, game mode and, and season mode, it just sort of, like, consumes you. And then when your duties completely change and now you're running the entire program and you have to deal with something like the death of your father, yeah, it's, it's hard to even imagine. So, uh, I mean, he's I think he's handled this 
extremely well for for the kind of circumstances he was put in. It's not like he was a coordinator or anything. He was a cornerbacks coach. It wasn't even like the full secondary coach. But the the fact that he's been such a good recruiter, had great relationships with most of the players that are on the roster because he recruited them. Uh, I think that's helped uh, quite a bit. But yeah, just it's amazing what he's been having to, to deal with so far this uh, short season. Well, Ryan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. And we'll just all turn on the TV and watch for three, three and a half hours and try to figure this out because it's a Pac-12 and you really don't know anything for sure. Really, we don't know. It's sort of just, yeah, this is the ultimate reality show. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I I watch this team every day and I have no clue. (laughs) So it's a weird feeling, but here we are. So it's a Pac-12. It should make it fun, though. Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. He publishes that website. You can also hear him on the Podcast of Champions. Thanks, Ryan. Coming up, Hannah Storm, Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football announcer. Uh, That interview is about 20 minutes away, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes look to pick up their first ever win in the Coliseum as they hit the road to square off against the Trojans of USC. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 5 o'clock with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. I'd say boom, but I'm too cold. (laughs) It'd be like an iceberg. Boom? (laughs) Be like an iceberg breaking off and crashing into the ocean. It is a brisk 40 degrees in here right now. Yeah, I've got gloves on. (laughs) I know you do. You got your hoodie up. All right, we have been talking a lot of football. We have the question of the day. It's all about the Utah Jazz because the annual survey of NBA general managers has the Jazz finishing second behind the Lakers in the West. What do you think about that? The, the Nets are the favorite to win the title with the Lakers and the Bucks, the only other teams getting votes. The Jazz, the Suns, 27 other NBA teams shut out on the championship votes. That takes second. That's a good enough position to win the title. You can win it out of the two spot. That's been done. Absolutely. But when you rank teams one, two, three, four, five, in my mind, maybe in other people's too, but certainly in mine, you know, there's a lot of separation between one and four or five. But the truth is, in the West, there isn't usually that much separation between one and five. This feels more like uh, going back to your youth did you go to Belmont? What racetrack did you go to? I don't know New York. Aqueduct? What are the New York racetracks? I don't know. Where <laughs> OTB, brother. Oh, it's all OTB? Okay. You just went down the street? Monmouth. Oh, Monmouth. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's six horses at the top of the stretch. Anything could happen. I mean, you could say yeah. you're two, but three and four aren't that far behind. I, people who are saying anything can happen, they're trying to build in a, a soft landing for the Jazz if it doesn't work. No, it'll be disappointment if it doesn't work. Right. But the point is, it's not one team to catch. Like, you can say, focus everything yeah. on the Lakers, I, but the, the Clippers get you. I'm not worrying about the catching Suns. anybody. I'm worrying about you playing to the capable your capability and being healthy. That's the Jazz. If the Jazz do that, 
I'm not worried about that. I said last year Donovan Mitchell should have been all league first team. And you said, who are you going to take off? No. Who else are you going to put on? <laughs> That's my mindset. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not worried about sixth place or any of that. I'm not worried about anybody behind me. I believe what you said earlier this morning that Donovan can still get better. 39 points on one leg, if that can be underappreciated, it was. Oh, it was uh, it was like a half an inch of a leg. <laughs> Fifty, if he's more explosive and isn't afraid I to land on the leg. Thought it was wheelchair basketball. <laughs> a little bit. Come on, this guy's a superstar of the highest level. He'll show it again. I'm, I'm not worried about anybody else. Ready to see them outscore people because I think I'm the Rudy see them Gay, win games. The the Rudy Gay edition, and he's not going to play tonight, and he's not going to play early in the year apparently. Coming back from off-season surgery, I don't think it solves the defensive issues. If guys can't stay in front of their their man, then that's going to be a problem. Irregardless, no, this of who else is out there on the floor? This isn't a league of players but, standing in in front of staying in front of their men. But another offensive weapon and a chance to spread the floor. I think that's a bigger deal than well. Now they'll match up because they got a guy who can you know a small guy who can play the five. I think it's going to help more at the offensive end than the defensive end. I don't know that it's that big an impact on defense. We're talking about the wrong thing here. I don't know that he has that much of an impact either way. Whose playing time is he taking? Favors. And maybe a few more minutes beyond that. I think Whiteside is taking Favors' minutes. We'll see how that plays out. There's a chance you're right. But if you want to match up and go small, Hassan's not the guy. Have them match up with me. I hope Hassan Whiteside brings that to the floor. All Jazz fans should hope he brings that to the floor. It's all about the Jazz. It's not about other teams. They're, this team is good enough to win it all. Now go get the job done. That's the bottom line. Hannah Storm, Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football announcer and longtime sports media host, will join us coming up next. Right now, Andrew Reinhardt is here from Wasatch Medical Clinic with a breakthrough treatment that does not involve pills, injection, or surgery. Andrew, for people who want to eliminate those three things, and I think that's a lot of people, you got something pretty promising. Yes, we certainly do. And getting more promising, the technology we use at Wasatch Medical called Wave Therapy now has 50 studies. Um, I would say irrefutable at this point, but you can go read them. The Cleveland Clinic, Cambridge, and so many others say gentle pressure waves over about 10 minutes open up and regrow blood vessels. Who doesn't want more blood flow in the bedroom? more frequency. That's what we're seeing. Men don't have to turn to pills or chemicals, and the intimacy and spontaneity is restored. So with all of that news, why are guys so hesitant to get their ED taken care of? I think there's a lot of guys that are embarrassed, and so they're maybe in denial. They would rather suffer. Uh, we hear from the spouses quite often. <laughs> they call us. They say, my man won't seek treatment. What do I do? How do I talk to him about this? Uh, I would say this. Two to three weeks from now, you're done with our treatments. That is a pretty short window compared to what you might go through if you don't seek treatment. You could be done with the ED and done with the pills. As always, you've got a deal. Our listeners love deals. Yes, a lot of value today. If you're ready to regain your love life, give us a call this morning. You'll meet with our MD here at the clinic for free. He'll do a blood flow ultrasound free. 
And the gift that I rarely, if ever, see fail, it produces immediate results in the bedroom. Uh, You can leave your wallet at home, by the way, totally free, plus the gift that produce, uh, plus, I'm sorry, the testosterone and blood work is included for free today as well. Guys, you can go Wasatch Medical right now. Claim the offer at 801-901-8000. Call Andrew at 801-901-8000. Mention your to Andrew on the zone and get that special deal at 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you.